Today on Stick to Football, we break down the upcoming week of college football. We break down everything that's happening in the NFL. If you're a quarterback, God bless you. You're probably hurt right now. Or you have a kick-ass mustache. A lot happening. We also have an amazing guest tonight because it is Michigan-Wisconsin week for us. We have Braylon Edwards, the only man who may hate Jim Harbaugh more than me. We get him on the show I'm looking forward to talking to him. We haven't yet, so we'll see what happens by the end of the show. It's going to be a good time. Mello's here. Connor's here. You can see us on YouTube. Go to Bleacher Report's channel. There's a playlist. You can subscribe to the Stick to Football playlist. Fellas, welcome to the show. Very excited about today. Obviously, again, Thursday night as we record this, tailgate tour kicks off. I don't have to work tomorrow. I'm just going to be traveling. The beers will be flowing soon. Yeah, it's it's good to have you guys back. As the man that was solo this week, I feel uh, oh, yeah. so much energy yeah. right now in this room or this <laughs> little box that we're in. But a lot going on around the NFL. I know that you guys are very excited. I want to hear your take on a couple different things. One being Jalen Ramsey's name being thrown around the league. Every single team is involved in this trade talk. Daniel Jones is named starter for week three. It is time for Danger Jones. And like Matt hinted at, there's a lot of quarterback injuries in the NFL right now. But let's start with the most important thing, at least what I think. Jalen Ramsey on the trade block, arguably the best corner in the NFL, depending who you talk to. Uh, where do you guys want to see him play? Who do you think is the most realistic? Uh, let's, and what is his value right now? Here's, he is the Jeez. best corner in football. He is the best corner in football. I'm so tired of this. And, and not to come at you guys. Listen, if people want to say, oh, Stephon Gilmore, that's fine. He can be second. Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in football. And I don't care how many years you played in the NFL or what your little resume says on your <laughs> box on ESPN when they put your dumb ass on Ooh. TV. He's the best corner Angry. in football. Stop this shit. And I'm tired of people saying that Jalen's a character problem. What has he done? How many DUIs does he have? How many times he beat up his girlfriend? How many kids does he hurt? You know what? Jalen wants to win. He was as a rookie crying on the sideline at Jacksonville because they suck so bad. Stop telling me that Jalen's a character problem. I'm so, I didn't even know I was so mad about this. And so we start talking about it. I'm so over it because he's not a character problem. The dude just is tired of Tom Coughlin being 90 million years old and not knowing how to build a winning football team. Look at their first round draft picks. Taven Bryan. Come on. They can't draft to save their fucking lives. And now you have a good player and you're running him out of town. Congratulations, Jacksonville. Can't wait to see you in London. I'm not as fired up. I did see a lot of, obviously, everybody saw this stuff about how Jalen Ramsey isn't that good anymore. Uh, he might not be the best corner. I, I'll accept that argument even, but he's still a really damn good cornerback, and I think he's going to help any team that he goes to. With that being said, I would obviously like to see him join the Kansas City Chiefs, but I don't want to see them give up too much for him. I, I just don't know how it's going to work out with the salary cap there that they have. Uh, giving up a first round pick for him. I don't know. And if it that's would take more be, than a right, first rounder. for that's them the because they're yeah. probably going to be picking uh, lower than 28 would be my guess. So they would expect more in exchange for him than just one first round pick. So it would be great, but I won't be upset if he goes somewhere else. And I think there was a long list of teams reported interested in him. That shouldn't surprise anyone yep. when a player of this talent, you know, kind of enters the market. But I, I think, and I said this on the midweek show, the Eagles, uh, make a lot of sense here. They're kind of in that win now approach. They're an aggressive team. They could use some help in the secondary. Of course, the Chiefs in the mix. The Browns kind of rumored to be in this too. That Brown, I don't understand that. Yeah, one. that one's weird because you know the Browns. A lot of personalities in that locker room. I, I think what's interesting to me with the Browns is they've made a lot of win now moves. When I don't think they have to be a win now team. Now, if they were going after Trent Williams or if they were in the Laramie Tunzel conversations, I would understand that after seeing that offensive line. Uh, I don't know. I know Denzel Ward has been, you know, not as good these first two games. It's only two games. Nothing to worry about yet with Denzel Ward. So maybe that's why they're in that conversation. But I mean, I think the the point stands. Everybody is at least calling about Jalen Ramsey right now. Right. And that that speaks to how good he is. I want to throw a sleeper team out there, the Detroit Lions, uh, because I I had heard all day Thursday that they were a team that had had inquired. There was some interest there. So Detroit has the salary cap space, obviously, to make something like this happen. So I, I think they are an interesting team. But like you guys said, every team in the NFL is making this call. So when you see the list of, oh, this team called, well, of course they did. Well, are the the 49ers are in play, too. They actually are the one right? team that came out and said they weren't. Oh, OK. That's all. But that means they probably 20. are. Yeah, right. So, reverse psychology. Uh -huh. I, I would love to see them. I mean, Kansas City's obvious. Philly, 
is another one where I think he'd be a great fit. Seattle, he'd be a wonderful fit, but they traded so many assets for Jadavian Clowney. They might not be willing to do another one. Guys, let's move on to Daniel Jones is, is danger zone time, but also it's Josh Rosen yeah. time. The Miami Dolphins Thursday, right before we started recording, announced he is going to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick. I like that both teams are making this move. I don't understand why we waited two weeks. This reminds me of Bill O'Brien not starting Deshaun Watson until halftime yes. of the first game. It's like, okay, you eventually made the right decision, but why did it take so long to do this? Um, let's start with Josh Rosen because he was in that uh, 2018 draft class. He was my number three quarterback. Yeah. He was your number number one for me. Really? And Connor's yep. number one. So we all liked him. I think we all had him as a first-round quarterback. So, did you? No, no okay, I did. You did. I did. And but he's been handed a really shitty situation. I, I don't think there's any anything around that. Uh, the offensive lines that he's played with, it, runs, it reminds me of David Carr when he came out of Fresno State, went to the expansion Texans and just got punched in the mouth over and over again. Or a lot like Deshaun Watson, if you watch the Texans now. So Rosen not being mobile, I think, is obviously a big issue. Holding on the ball a little bit too long with bad offensive lines. I don't know that we're even going to get a good eval of him. If he plays the next 14 weeks, I don't know how you can evaluate a player with these skill position players and this offensive line when it's a team that is so clearly tanking. I don't understand still the methodology to trade a pick for this guy, and now you're just sacrificing him, basically. Right, throwing him out there. Like, if you were going to go all in, you should have done it week one. So I don't understand what you're doing now because you're right. You're not going to get a good evaluation of what he can do. I guess you'll just see how much of the offense that he knows and he can pick up on, which should be a lot because no one is questioning that part of his game. Uh, you're just going to run him out there and get him killed this year. So I don't I don't know what the Dolphins are doing. I, we've seen other teams and other sports do this, like the Houston Astros. I guess we'll figure out, does does this have a place in the NFL? Can we see teams tank and rebuild by trading away your best players, trying to play a young quarterback? We'll figure it out because the Dolphins are all in on doing it. On the Browns tried, and Connor and I were at that in Monday night. They did beat the Jets, but they did not look good in doing it. I think Miles Garrett looked really good. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of struggles out on that field that I saw. Obviously, they had the cap space and the, the capital to go get guys like Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. Odell won that game for them, but... I don't know that we've ever seen a team effectively tank in the NFL. I, I don't think so. Yeah, yet, until I, I someone makes the playoffs while doing it. I think for Rosen, my problem is I don't think I don't want to sit here and make excuses for him because I think there's been evident struggles from him. But it's almost like he left a horrible situation in Arizona and found the only worse situation in the NFL. Now they traded Laramie Tunzel. That's a huge issue for an offensive line that already isn't good. They didn't spend the summer prepping him as the starting quarterback. You had the entire summer to do so. Now you're throwing him into the fire week three against a great Dallas team, a great Dallas defense. I don't really know what this does. There's no skill players there. There's no offensive line there. They just traded their best promising defensive player in Minka Fitzpatrick where they're going to be down 25 nothing before you could even say the words Kellen Moore. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous when you look at this. Like, it, it, well, I don't think we'll ever really know what Josh Rosen could have been in the right system for him. Now, I do think those systems were limited because, like you just said, Matt, the mobility was always a concern. He is holding on to the ball. At the end of the day, though, I, this is not the right way to assess what you have in him. Him, and it's pretty evident that Miami will go into next year's draft, probably looking at some of these quarterbacks we're going to talk about later in the show. Yeah, it, top five today. Durability, five durability was a huge question, too, with his thin shoulders. So, I mean, how many weeks are we actually going to see him? Because, yeah, the, the, I mean, he already got crushed last year. Yeah, you're just going to blitz the hell out of him. That's all I would do. Yeah, that's all I would do as well. Right, on the flip side of that, guys, Daniel Jones unseats Eli Manning, which I was frankly surprised when this news broke because Eli seemed to have an umbrella of the Mara family protecting him, keeping him on the field. It comes down. No, he's going to sit. Daniel Jones is the starter headed into uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay week. Excuse me. So I'm excited about this. I really liked Daniel Jones uh, throughout the season. Then I felt like he got overrated. But when we were just talking about Daniel Jones tools, I liked him a lot. I thought he had a great senior bowl week, but at, at a point in the, the whole draft process, it flipped. And he went from this guy's being overrated to, wait, 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 now he's getting underrated. And I still don't believe he was worth a top 10 pick, but we're going to get to see what he can do. Again, on a team that doesn't have a great offensive line, I don't even think it's fair to only point at Eli Manning right now and say this is the only problem for the Giants. Their defense has been absolutely atrocious, but 
I will say good on the Giants for getting the first round pick on the field in week three because you need to see what you have there. Yeah, it's a lot like when Eli was there with Kurt Warner and taking his place. I was actually pretty surprised that we saw this move come so early in the season. I thought it would be like week six before we saw Daniel Jones. I was not his biggest supporter. I think that all of our listeners probably remember that. I I would have liked him in the second round, but he was the first quarterback taken overall. But I'm excited that we will get to see what he can do. Hopefully he can get the ball to Saquon some more because I got him on my fantasy team. And really, when we're talking about the Giants, that's what I want. Yeah, there's two sides of this for me. One, I'm excited for Daniel Jones. I'm excited that the Giants fans get what they want. They get to see him as a starter. Tough task against Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is not only a very good defensive coordinator, but he's very good against young quarterbacks. Now, Tampa doesn't have this loaded defense, but I think the signing of Shaq Barrett's been big for them. Uh, They'll definitely be coached up and ready for Daniel Jones, but it's exciting to hopefully see him give this offense some life. I think on the other side of this, this goes back to what we've talked about with Dave Gettleman building or rebuilding this Giants team. And this is maybe ownership getting involved. And every time we talk about team building on this show, ownership getting involved is always a bad thing. Why did you keep Eli Manning's cap number on this season? Look at how poor that defense has been so far. They're leaving the offense hung out to dry. Some of that money could have been used to go get, uh, even if you're not going to go after a premier player like C.J. Mosley, one of the pass rushers that went to Green Bay, or anyone like that, keeping Olivier Vernon, even though they got a good return for their offensive line. I think it's just very frustrating team building where, We're going to see what this team is like with Daniel Jones, and I think the line's been better, and Saquon is amazing. But I think, once again, they could have been further along in the process if they didn't just give this legacy treatment to Eli Manning for way too long. Yeah, and I'll be interesting. You know, they had three first-round picks. We'll see what Daniel Jones looks like. Dexter Lawrence has been, I think, okay. It's only two weeks, so I I, I even hate DeAndre Baker's been really struggling. Yeah, he has. I believe he's only like stopped one pass thrown his way. I think he's like, they have like 13 or 14 or something thrown his way. Look, seriously, it's ridiculous. So again, it's yeah. two weeks. You can't play zone. It's two weeks. Yeah, whatever. Things can change, but uh, they have to get a return on investment from that 2019 draft class, or it really doesn't matter what they're doing with Saquon and Nate Solder and guys like that. All right. Quickly though, guys, injuries are the big word right now with quarterbacks. Cam Newton is out this weekend. Big Ben out for the year. Drew Brees is going to be out for a little bit. Sam Darnold is at least some encouraging news. Sounds like he's coming back since he gave me his mono while I was in New Jersey Monday night. Appreciate taking one for the team on that one, Sammy. But the injuries are concerning. And so like the Panthers, we get to see Kyle Allen this weekend. I'm excited for that. Kyle Allen against Kyler Murray. That's going to be fun. Uh, a little rivalry there, actually. Between I, yeah, the two I, of them. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Mello's guy, Mason Rudolph, is taking the ball in Pittsburgh for the rest of the year. Uh, Teddy and Taysom will be splitting it up in New Orleans. But, man, if you're a quarterback right now, it is not a safe place to be. And it, once again, I think speaks to how important that number two quarterback is for every team in the NFL. Yeah, and like you mentioned Later, we're going to break down the top five quarterbacks. These teams might be looking pretty heavily at this draft because even guys like Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, they're old and they might say they want to come back. But that team is going to have to deal with. We have a quarterback who is a very old veteran quarterback coming off of an injury. That's not usually uh, something you're wanting to deal with if you're in an organization. So these teams looking at these young quarterbacks, they might start to get some hungry eyes there and really <laughs> looking eyes. at what the draft has. Uh, I'm it, it's like, that my it's like my... stick to football's reclamation weekend right now. <laughs> I'm rooting for Josh Rosen's big return. Matt's got Teddy Mello's rooting for Mason Rudolph. It's like, let's <laughs> yeah, go let's, back up yeah. quarterback weekend. <laughs> Figure out what these guys it. have finally. Yeah. And I mean, we could see Lamar Jackson against Pat Mahomes. I not, I mean, not head to head, obviously, because they both play quarterback, but I'm excited for that game. Arrowhead home opener of the year. And Lamar Jackson comes into town. He's like the second hottest quarterback in the league right now. So, um, what, We'll get to see if if he stays a prince or not on this one. Uh, it's blind review time. This segment staying. I know there are, we have like five people that love it, so it's gonna stay. It? <laughs> so it's not going anywhere. Mello, we have Titans at Jags Thursday night. Take it away. And I have double checked this. The game is actually in Jacksonville, so we don't have to worry about that mess up happening again. I like the Titans, and I like what they're doing. I think that the Gardner Minshew hype. We're going to see it wear off because tonight I'm expecting two interceptions from Gardner Minshew. This Titans defense just made him look like the draft prospect I thought he was. 
They're doing a great job, the Titans are, getting after the quarterback, playing great defense, and they're putting Mariota in position to succeed, and that's why we see him have a big game here on Thursday night. Derrick Henry obviously helping out, much better prospect than I thought he was going to be. He's actually able to produce on offense. I love what he's doing, and to be able to see A.J. Brown have the game that he had last night was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I will say, I thought Tennessee did a great job really setting themselves up as maybe the team to beat in the AFC South. This Mike Vrabel defense is just nasty, and I know it's against Jacksonville, but being able to shut down Leonard Fournette and really go against a pretty good offensive line. And again, to your point, Melo, Derrick Henry continues to make me look like an idiot because I did not think this guy had what it took to be an NFL starting running back. This system is so perfect for him. He's showing the deep speed. Remember last time those two teams played, he went for 99 yards. We saw it again last night with more big plays from Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry finding the end zone for the third week in a row to start off this NFL season. One final note, though, from me, guys, as we recap this game, uh, you know, tip of the cap to Jalen Ramsey for playing all out in what he basically knew was his last NFL game in a Jacksonville Jaguars uniform. Yeah, Very interesting to see him run off the field after that game. We will be in Madison, Wisconsin this week. We're actually en route as you're listening to this. Don't forget Jordan's Big Ten Pub. It's a historic bar on Regent Street. They hold 1,600 people in their beer garden. It's the biggest, I think, in the world. I'm going Trump on this place. It's big. It's huge. My friends it's tell me it's the biggest. It's a category five. Nobody's it's a category ever, five Have you pub. heard of this before? It's a category five. It's amazing. Five. No one's ever heard of it. It's going to be great. It might even hit Alabama. This pub is so big. We are going to be there at 8 o'clock recording the podcast. Come hang out with us. We're taking as many koozies as my like little pelican case will hold. We'll be giving those out. There's going to be cheese. We're sampling yes, cheese. Come get you cheese. can have some of that. Yeah, come get cheese. cheese. That's not a joke. We're really giving away cheese, not money. What else Actual would you do with cheese? Yeah, I don't. Brats, beer. There's going to be a lot of fun. So come out. Uh, we'll be doing the show live. You can hang out with us, and then we'll be there uh, for a while after it. But let's get into this week's previews and picks. I am struggling at 11 and 9. Mello is at 13 and 7. Connor is at 6 and 4. So none of us can really talk any shit because we're not doing we're that. We're not doing that bad, though. We're not. <laughs> yeah. I feel like My I real am. life Let's gambling is going very, very well. Uh, this segment, so <laughs> so, not great. I'm actually back even now. So I'm feeling very good about that. All right. Number 10, Utah minus 4 at USC. The over under on this one's 52.5. That feels high to me, given that we've yeah. seen now USC and back to back weeks look a little uh, bipolar offensively. And Utah has such a great defense. Our guy, Zach Moss, is just going to run the rock in this one. I'm taking Utah to cover, and I would actually take the under on this one. I, I agree with with you. I hate when that happens, but I agree. The negative four on Utah, I think that they're going to cover that pretty easily, but I don't expect a lot of points here. That Utah defense is salty. I think that USC is going to give them a real true test because they're going to spread the ball out. Uh, they'll try to get things done in the running game, but you saw what BYU did, and they just said, okay, you want to do this air raid offense? No. You're going to have to run the ball on us. And Utah has the defensive line. They have the secondary. They can shut down anything you want to throw at them. So I'm going to go Utah, and I think they cover the spread. And I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, there's just no science to this one. It's pretty obvious that Utah is a strong veteran defense. Julian Blackman started out the season, a couple turnovers already. So really exciting to see that for him as he went back for his senior year. Uh, Utah should cover that line. I'm actually thinking about putting some real money on this one not positive yet yeah i am uh i'm not betting this weekend i say that every weekend that i end up betting all right number eight auburn at number 17 texas a&m this is one of the big games of the week two top 20 teams a&m is favored in this one minus three and a half which surprised the hell out of me the over under set at 47 and a half so a little bit of offense expected I was down on Auburn to start the year. I really was. I thought just all watching that offensive line last year, they were terrible. But this defensive line is so good. Remember back to week one when they smacked Oregon uh, in that comeback win. I'm actually going to take Auburn on this one. Now, I don't know about the spread. I, I do think it'll be close. I can see it being a three-point game. But it being in a and I mean, that's worth three points right there. But I do think Auburn wins. And that's where you're wrong. <laughs> because I think A&M is going to win died. this one at Texas A&M. No matter what you feel about it, that's a hard place to play. They pump in so much sound there that it gets so loud that it is a very difficult place to play. And that's why I'm going A&M here. And another reason for that is because 
I'm not sold on Bo Nix. Yeah. I think that's a great story. His dad went to Auburn. He's been so inconsistent. I know that everybody wants to talk about him in his first game. He's a freshman starter at Oregon. They win that game. He played like dog shit. He threw multiple interceptions. He almost lost that game for them. He did nothing for me. Uh, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, actually, so I'm going to take the under. I think A&M can get it done. They stopped the run against Clemson with Travis Etienne. I don't think that Auburn can get the run game going against A&M, and I think that Kellen Mond can score more points here. So I'm going to take A&M, who is the favorite in Las Vegas, three and a half points, uh, but the lower-ranked team. So that's not really an underdog, I guess, but I am going to take A&M. Yeah, in the real-life gambling world, this is a game where you look at and you say, hell no, not touching this game. I took Auburn because I think they can cover that three-and-a-half line, but I don't feel great about them in this one for the reason you just said, Mello. Are we really getting excited right now over Bo Nix? I I think it's more of a story than a talent. Uh, I do like Auburn's defensive line a lot. I think Derek Brown up front is is obviously the dude to watch. But, I mean, this is a game where A&M, you got to kind of win this one. You need a big win at some point. This is their chance to get one. It is definitely a chance. Uh, Here is one that I got to find a way to watch this. Oklahoma State at number 12, Texas. Texas is favored by five and a half. The over-under is it 72 and a half. I'm going to take the over on this one. It's amazing. I think Texas wins. I do think they cover, but I'll say this, and I'm writing about him. It comes out Friday morning, so check it out my scouting notebook. I love Hubbard from Oklahoma State, the running back, Chua Hubbard. That dude is a stud, and I don't know if Texas can stop him because they really can't stop anyone. I will say I think the Texas offense has looked better. This is a 630 game. DKR should be rocking, and we know that Texas can score points. Sam Ellinger, almost 1,000 yards passing, 11 TDs. He's been more effective on the ground game as well. I think people are bought in a little bit more. But can Texas stop Spencer Sanders? Can they stop Chuba Hubbard? Can they stop Tylen Wallace? I don't know. I think you looked at my notes. Like, do you see what I have highlighted as my first? No, I wrote about it today before I even talk, uh-huh. saw you. Whatever. So. Ghost Rider Mellow here. I'm just going to turn my screen. Matt can't cheat off of me anymore. <laughs> right. Okay, Lefko. Oklahoma State scares me. They, they really do because they're such a high-powered offense, and this Texas defense sucks. They have nobody that can cover in the secondary. Caden Stearns does not look like the same. Caden Stearns, exactly. Whatever that means. They, they make me very nervous, and I have no idea how Texas is going to stop Chuba Hubbard. He's very good catching the ball out of the backfield, and he's run for 200 yards, I think, twice this season already, throwing Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Everything is just leading up for an upset. I don't like the way it feels. I would not bet any money on this game because Texas is the five-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Texas can get it done. But, man, I'm nervous about it. As a Texas fan, and if I were a better, uh, I would stay away from this game. Very nervous, but I am going to say Texas. If wins. it were in Stillwater, I would be even oh, more terrified. Once again. If it were in Stillwater, I better know. I was going to ask you guys, hasn't Texas lost to Oklahoma State on their own field five times in a row now? It's been bad. I don't know about it, five in a row. But I know it's, it's, yeah, you're it's, right. I know it's really bad. I went back and forth on this game the entire day. In terms of the spread... I think Oklahoma State covers. I actually am going to pick them to win this game. I'm sorry, guys. The guy for me is Tylen Wallace. I, I know they haven't played anyone yet, and even when they have, they've actually been. You know, they've the defense has given up their points. I think Sam Ellinger is probably going to have his way in this one. I just think Tylen Wallace can have a 150 yard kind of day receiving against this Texas secondary. Them being on the road, even though they've won at Texas a lot, makes this one tough. But I really like the upset in this game just because it's a mismatch kind of opportunity. And I've actually seen the the line on this, depending on where you look. You can That's, get it at five, you can get it at five and a half, or you can get it at six. So it's kind of all over the place right now. You can find it for nine and a half right what? now. That's that juicy. I might put money on that spread. Texas minus nine and a half. I would put it on Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, there's no way that Texas beats them by 10 points. Text our guy in Vegas. See yep. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> almost everybody is five and a half, six. There are people out there that have it at nine and a half. And if you can find it, too, you can go online. It's out there. I would put money on it that way because Texas might win. They're not going to win by double digits. All right. Number seven, Notre Dame at number three, Georgia. 
Probably the biggest game of the week. Georgia, though, is favored by 14 and a half points. The over-under at 57 and a half. And boys, I am all over Georgia. This game, though, I think is a good scouting matchup. We get to see Andrew Thomas against Julian Oguara. We get to see Jake Fromm against a pretty good Notre Dame defense. DeAndre Swift against a a similar crew. Not a similar crew, the same crew. So I'm excited for that matchup in this one. Just some good, good old-fashioned Saturday scouting when it comes to this game. But I think Notre Dame loses ugly. Yeah, I could not believe the line on this one. 14 and a half, I did not expect that. Obviously, I thought it would be closer to like six and a half. But I do think Georgia wins, and I do think Georgia wins pretty easily. I don't know that I would bet against the spread on this one, but I will take the Georgia Bulldogs. That is a fat line. I think, you know, when you look at the games of the week, you'd probably go to this one and say, I'll take Georgia to cover by at least a touchdown. But more than two, it's rough. I'm picking Georgia to win. Don't love that number. That's a lot to cover, although wouldn't shock me if they actually blow out a top 10 team on their own field. Yeah, absolutely not. All right, the game we will be at, fellas, number 11, Michigan, at number 13, Wisconsin. They're going to be jumping around. Wisconsin's favored in this one, minus three and a half, which is basically home field advantage. The over-under is 44 and a half, the lowest that we've seen this week in the top five games. And if you see me Saturday, I'm going to be wearing this sweet-ass retro Wisconsin T-shirt because I'm rolling with our guy JTT and the Badgers. I don't think Michigan can stop him. Wisconsin coming off a bye. Yeah, I know Michigan is too. But Jonathan Taylor, we've seen limited touches from him so far this year. I think they're getting him ready. They were saving him for this week when he's going to break out with one of those classic 250-yard games that we've seen from him over the course of his brilliant career. Already 4,000 yards rushing in college, and he's just going to add to that this week. Only 35 carries headed into this game. Yeah, and our our guy Adam Kramer says that he wants to hit that record. He wants to break it. He's after Ron Dane, this is his chance. And I think this is really his chance to get on the Heisman hype. Uh, I think he should be up there. He's one of the best running backs in the country. This is his opportunity. If he can go for 250-plus, which I definitely think he can against this Michigan defense, then we'll have to talk about him as a Heisman candidate, as a true Heisman candidate. I'm going Wisconsin as well. I just don't see how Michigan can compete. They struggled with Middle Tennessee State, and they struggled with Army because they couldn't stop the run. Now you have to face one of the toughest run offenses in the entire nation in Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin controls the clock. I think it's going to be close, uh, but I definitely think Wisconsin wins. Yeah, you're asking Shea Patterson to go on the road, a really, really tough place to play, and kind of carry that offense. I don't love it. I don't love that at all. Wisconsin all the way for me. I think they've surprisingly gotten good play out of their quarterback, Jack Cohn from New York this year already. He hasn't turned the ball over in the air and just JT go have your Heisman moment, go beat Michigan. And man, this is a game for Jim Harbaugh. Got to have this one. Got to have this one, but I don't think it happens. I think Wisconsin wins. Yeah, I think so too. Mello, you have your underdog. This is our super underdog locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my own money on. I'm going with Northwestern. They are playing. They host Michigan State. Michigan State cannot score points. Northwestern likes to stop people from scoring points. This is going to be a very low-scoring game, and the spread at 6.5 – there might not be anybody that scores six and a half. This might be like a three to six game. I'm putting my money on Northwestern here because I don't think Michigan State can score double digits against this defense. I think it's going to be very low scoring. Michigan State probably pulls off the win, but I would not be surprised if we're looking at a very low scoring game, like a 10 to 13 type win. I'm telling you, put your money on Northwestern this week. All right, fellas, it is a great time to update our big boards when it comes to the quarterback position. It's been a lot of talk about who should the Miami Dolphins get. If you're a Titans fan, if you're a Buccaneers fan, who should you be looking at? Maybe you're a Chargers fan. You're worried about Phillip Rivers or the Saints and Teddy Bridgewater's on a one-year deal. This is has been billed a very good quarterback draft. I'm going to tell you, I don't know that it will be. And that's why I'm going to start at number five on my list. I'll give you my five, then then Mello, then Connor. We didn't talk about that in the break. That's how we're going to do it. Number five on my list, and, and a guy who's really rising up the board for me, is Joe Burrow. I would not be surprised if by April, Joe has worked his way into the first-round conversation. He is a great leader. He's a great character guy. Athletically, it's there. Mechanically, it's there. We just haven't seen a huge sample size. But every week when he plays, he continues to impress. Now, I will say, and I'll take a shot at my own team, he has not played a good defense yet. We need to see him play Alabama. We need to see him play Auburn. We need to see him play the Georges of the world to see what he can do in those situations. But I'm very encouraged and intrigued by Joe Burrow. Number four on my list is where I have Jake Fromm. I was telling Connor before we recorded today, Jake Fromm to me is a lot how I felt about 
Andy Dalton. That's how I felt about Jarrett Stidham. The guy's just a good football player, but he's not going to blow you away with any types of tools. Or, you know, it's like he's not big. He doesn't have a strong arm. He's not fast. He's just a good quarterback. Now, that's going to work for some people and not others. So I think when we talk about Jake Fromm, he's going to be good for some teams, not everyone. Uh, So that's important to remember. Number three on my list, this is where I have Jordan Love from Utah State. I love his traits. He makes some amazing throws that not many people can make. He also makes some very bad throws. I think you look at the Wake Forest game where he had multiple picks where you're just like, brother, throw it away. He has some learning to do, but... A lot like how I felt about Josh Allen back in the day. He is not surrounded by what you would call pro prospects at the wide receiver, running back, or offensive line positions. So he is not working with a cast of characters like everyone else on this list. But I'm very intrigued by the traits uh, that we get from Jordan Love. Number two, and I am not sold on this at all. He could be number six on my list in a couple weeks. Justin Herbert. I know he looks the part, but God, I get Blaine Gabbert when I watch him play. Like I get PTSD watching him. He is, I mean, he's big, he's tall, he's athletic. He just doesn't come across as very tough to me. There's not a lot of moxie there. The Auburn game, especially, I really felt like he kind of folded down the stretch. I just don't, I don't believe in Justin Herbert, but the physical traits are absolutely what we're looking for. Uh, If you could build a quarterback, they would probably have a lot of Justin Herbert's traits, more than anyone else on this list. And a number one for me, with a bullet really, is Tua. I know there have been doubters out there who, oh, two is not tall enough. He's two inches taller, maybe three, than the guy who was just drafted number one overall. People say he's a lefty. So was Steve Young. So was Michael Vick. I really don't care that he's left-handed. I don't think it's that big of a deal. He is so accurate. And I don't know if it's because he's at Alabama and we're tired of them being good that people can't appreciate that Tua is just good at football. He's accurate. He's a good leader. He's a good kid. He's a good athlete. He's everything you should want in a franchise quarterback. So Tua is tops on my list. Yeah, and I'll dive in right here with my number five. I'm going with Jordan Love, and he is at five because at times you'll watch him. Even like I watched his Michigan State tape last year. I watched him against Wake Forest this year, and it's like, holy shit, some of the throws that he makes, no one else can make. And then some of the throws no he makes, make. no one else would even <laughs> try that because it's stupid, and it's triple coverage. It's just not making sense. It's like sense. Drew Locke. Yeah, he, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, and he has, I mean, he's at Utah State, so maybe the coaching hasn't been great, but I do want to see what he can do. I'm intrigued by him. I'm not in love with him. Like you said with this quarterback class, I'm, I don't love it. I actually, I don't think it's as great as we all thought it was going to be. I do think there's one quarterback at the top, and then there's some other guys that will maybe even be fighting like a mid-first-round pick. Uh, number four for me, I am going with Jacob Eason. I still haven't got to watch a lot of his game. There's just some, the Washington games are like 1030 at night here. So it's hard to do. I have to try to record it and watch it on Sunday mornings. So I haven't seen a lot, but what I have seen so far, I am impressed with, but I do need to see him do it against some good quality defenses because he's been a little bit inconsistent too. So I want to take another look at him. Number three would probably wear like a different tier of quarterback. I like Jake Fromm and he doesn't wow me. But I think a lot of that is the offense. He's not asked to do a lot besides, hey, turn around and hand it to one of our four running packs who are going to rush for 100 yards. If we just keep doing this, we're going to win games, and that's what Kirby Smart does. Take care of the ball. We'll run the ball. We will win games. So I like Jake Fromm, and I think that he does make a lot of really good throws with touch, with arm strength. He just He's not asked to do a lot, so a lot of people are down on him. And the same concerns with Justin Herbert as you have. I, I don't know what quarterback he really is. At, at times, he doesn't seem like he's ready to lead a team and be the face of a franchise. The Blaine Gabbert comment, I think that's absolutely perfect. He really reminds me of a Blaine Gabbert-type quarterback, but he's tall. He has a strong arm. He has He's athletic. So he's going to be up there for everybody on draft boards. And then the number one guy, who I do think is head and shoulders above now, is Tua. Him coming out healthy, I was very low on him. And even at the start of the season, I did not have him as my QB1. But him being healthy with his legs under him, showing some arm strength this year, the touch and the accuracy was always there. But being able to show some arm strength, he looks absolutely amazing. And I wanted to credit a lot of his receivers for what they're able to do. But he does a very good job of getting them the ball and getting it to them in stride. So we can see a Henry Ruggs and you know Jerry Judy take off and do what they can do. 
I really like Tua, and I think he is probably going to be the first, if not second pick in this draft. Yeah, you look at this draft class, guys, and I know 2018, we were all over the place, how we felt about those top five quarterbacks, and we all had different rankings. Last year, a lot of the same thoughts. This year, it feels like it's going to be the same. All three of us have Tua right at the top. I think that's undisputed, but I'll start right at five here. I do have Joe Burrow at five. I really like the steps Joe Burrow has taken. I think he looks like a different player in this offense. I think he's moved really well in and out of the pocket. I think his feel in the pocket's very good. So I still think he's a day two player right now, but he's going to be looking to make that jump to sneak into round one. Jacob Beeson at four for me, like Mello. The arm talent is just tremendous. And yeah, he hasn't been perfect this year, especially against Cal, I believe was the game where he struggled a little bit. But the throws he can make at a great size for a quarterback, but just the arm strength, he has a legit top tier NFL arm. It's everything else that he'll have to work on right now. We need to see more of them. We didn't see the guy play last year as he was a transfer. So uh, a wait and see on Eason, but I like the promise. Jake Fromm at three. I just think he's very smart. He does everything, all the little things that leads you to wins. I don't think he's going to be a top five kind of pick because I don't think he's physically overwhelming. And then Justin Herbert at two is the one that we all have met too, but we all feel the same way about him. He can make somebody look very, very bad if he ends up being a top two pick, which I think he will. I think somebody's going to roll the dice on him and maybe he'll make someone look very, very smart. We don't know that yet. There's a lot left to dissect with Justin Herbert, but I know he's number one for a lot of people. I think it's safe to say this show feels the same way where there's a gap between him and Tua right now, and I don't think it's close. I feel very good putting my name behind Tua, just like I did with Kyler last year. I think with Tua, just the accuracy, once again, the feel in and out of the pocket, the athleticism, I don't have concerns about the height, but the way he can tear you up in the intermediate passing game, really all three levels of the field, is very, very special. He just needs to stay healthy. So this quarterback class, there's a clear guy at the top and a lot of question marks underneath that we're excited to watch shake out. One thing I'll say, guys, before we go to break and bring in Braylon Edwards, none of us have Jalen Hurts in the top five. Not yet. Yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not yet. But we I will say he impresses me more every week. I'm so excited to get to see him in a couple weeks in Dallas when we're there for the Texas OU game because, uh, yeah, I mean, he just looks better every week. So if I could say there's a guy that's not on my list that, that could be very soon, it's probably going to be Jalen Hurts. All right, boys, let's take a break. We come back. Former Michigan superstar, the number three pick former by the Jet. Cleveland Browns, <laughs> former Jet and former 49er. Take that, Braylon Edwards. We are joined by a player I actually loved. We're the same age. So as I was coming up through high school and college, I was watching him every Saturday. Braylon Edwards, who was a stud at Michigan, was the number three pick in the draft. I, I was not picked in the draft. You were, though, Braylon. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, first question. I want to ask you, though, I want to jump right into this because it's like hot in the news right now. You were quoted as saying Michigan is light years behind Ohio State. Do you do you feel that way still? Do you want to like backtrack it or you just want to like keep pushing that envelope? I'm not backtracking anything I say. I said what Good I said and I meant and I stand by it. Um, the reason why the comment came about is one, you know, with 14 to one in the last 15 games, uh, you know, also Ohio State every year is a team that is on the verge of going to the final four or having a team that could possibly go all the way. Are we on the other hand have not been and are not. What I mean by light years behind, let me break it down, is it's not a hardball thing. This is a Michigan since Lloyd left thing. This is a identity thing. When you look at the teams, let's just stay with Ohio State. We don't have to go to Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama. Let's just look at Ohio State. What they do is they stay consistent to their identity. They're going to get guys up front that get pushed, that are extreme, extremely talented athletes. Their cornerback, their secondary, usually is going to be a top three, four, five in the country each year. But that's not it because Michigan has been able to compete defensively over the years. We've had a lot of really good players. You look at from Jake Ryan and Frank Clark all the way till now, uh, Rashawn Gary, Devin Bush in the league currently. It's the offensive side of the ball. When you look at the teams that have the success, the, the Clemson, instantly you think of Deshaun Watson. You think of Trevor Lawrence. You think of the running back Etienne. You think of the two wide receivers they have now, Diggs and the other kid. You think of Alabama. You think of Jalen Hurts. You think of uh, Sims, the running back they had before. You think quarterbacks that were up for the Heisman. You think running backs that have won the Heisman. You think Oklahoma, two quarterbacks that have won the Heisman, one that possibly is going to win the Heisman. 
You think every team that has had success in that Final Four championship level has had a quarterback that was either up for the Heisman or was first-team all-conference or was up for the Maxwell Award. You have a running back that is arguably up for the Doke or arguably up for or won the Heisman. And you have stud wide receivers at some point. That's been Michigan's Achilles Hill for the past 14 years is they don't have those players on offense. And that's what I mean by light years behind. In order, they keep asking this question, is this going to be the year that Michigan does it? They haven't done it yet. They haven't come close to doing it yet. And it's because of the offensive side of the ball. Every year for the last 12 years, Michigan has been asking the same question. Who's going to quarterback? Like every year, last year, Shea Patterson had a statistically not too bad of a year. Comes back this year for his fifth year. What's the question? Is it going to be Shea? Is it Dylan McCaffrey? Is it Joe Milton? Who's going to be the running back? Name the last time Michigan's had a stud, stud offensive player. I'll tell you when. It was Denari Robinson in 2012. That's seven years ago. That's seven years ago. Devin Funches was, was really good. I didn't like the move to wide receiver in high school, in our college. I think he should have stayed at tight end. It would have been better. But to each his own. Outside of those two, you've had some pretty decent players. Karan Hickman was a decent running back. Amari Darbo and J.U. Chesson are pretty decent receivers. But you don't have those guys that you're looking at before like, yeah, this guy's going to win the Blitnikoff. This guy's going to be up for the dope. And that's what I mean by light years behind. Every year Ohio State is going to have a J.K. Dobbins, an Ezekiel Elliott, a Carlos High, uh, J.T. Barrett, uh, Justin Fields, uh, Haskins, uh, Benjamin Victor, list goes on, Braxton Miller, the list goes on. That's the difference, I think, in the play. We're getting great defense. We have people that want to go to, uh, to Michigan. The brand is back. We're beating the teams we should be beating for the most part. It's the switch on offense. We don't have the consistent or, for that matter, the any players that are explosive and game takeovers. That's what I mean by light years behind. Do you think that Jim Harbaugh is the guy that can bring this program back, that can have the offense, that can compete with Ohio State so that they're not light years behind? You know what it is, and I don't know. Uh, whoever can get the recruiting, because obviously it has something to do with recruiting. Obviously there's a – there's a there's a glitch in getting that four star five star, and a lot of it is not Jim Harbaugh Jim Harbaugh's fault. To that question, a lot of guys that are four and five stars just don't want to come up north. They don't want to go to Maryland. They don't want to go to Penn State. They don't. Penn State had that really good run, but on average, Penn State's not like that. Uh, they don't want to come to you know Illinois, Wisconsin, Northwestern, like. Northwestern and Wisconsin, those schools, they're making good records with what they have. They're finding a way to win these 10 and 11 games, but no one wants to come up here. For some reason, Ohio State seems to be the only place where Georgia, Texas, Atlanta, uh, well, same state, Georgia, Texas, Florida, where those guys want to come up north to take a chance. Ohio State seems to be the only school. So with that being said, I don't know if you fire Jim Harbaugh, bring in – uh, somebody else, let's say Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, and he has the same issues as getting those kids from the top. They seem to be wanting to stay in SEC, ACC, Pac-12 country. To some, it might seem crazy to talk about Harbaugh potentially on the hot seat, but do you think another loss to Ohio State this year, if that happened, that conversation starts around him? People have already started to say that because, you know, it can't be Ohio State. And they're starting to look at what I said last year and the year before. Now starting to come to the forefront. They're starting to look at the games he should have won and lost. So now you add that into the pot. So, okay, four losses Ohio State. But then you make the excuse, well, it's Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's had some great teams. Okay, lost to Iowa in 2016 when they should have won, when this was their chance to go to the Final Four. You lose to South Carolina in the bowl game when South Carolina is, is not a good football team at all. That you let them come back and beat you. You know, you lose to Michigan State in the monsoon. It's not so much the loss. It's the fact that you threw five interceptions in a monsoon, which means you let the quarterback throw five interceptions in the monsoon. You look at the house they lost last year. You look at the Florida loss in the bowl game last year. All these things are starting to get stir, uh, stirred in the pot. Now, on the flip side of that, 
He has changed the brand of football. He is getting, on average, nine and a half wins a season. He's winning nine to ten games a season. Uh, he's getting the recruiting there. He's got the Michigan brand back in the public spotlight in the in the positive way, but he just hasn't gotten over that hump. So if he loses this year and doesn't get over the hump, do you allow him another chance because he is winning ten games, or do you put the pressure on? You know, Mike Gundy has a great program going on down there in Oklahoma State. They're going to win eight games a year, sometimes ten. I think he has four ten-win seasons in his. Uh, 11-year tenure there or something like that, they're going to challenge. They're consistently beating up on the Texas. They're consistently beating up on Texas each year, although Texas just got back decent. But they're not going to go to the Final Four. They're typically not going to win the Big 12. They're typically not going to win a national championship. So do you want an Oklahoma program, Oklahoma State program, or do you want to be like Oklahoma? No, I think that's that is a great point, and we should point out you have a, a book that came out uh, a couple days ago. It's called "Doing It My Way: My Outspoken Life as a Michigan Wolverine, NFL Receiver, and Beyond." Uh, outspoken, uh, you have you kind of have a feud with your school. I don't even right not with the school, but with the media department with Jim Harbaugh. Would you call it a feud? It is a misunderstanding, and with <laughs> last year, last year I tweeted out during the Notre Dame game, and I was a little harsh. And a little over passionate and a little over frustrated and a little over something else. You were right. Yeah, hold on. (laughs) You were right. Yeah. I was was with the alums. I mean, you know, that's that's anyone. That's what you do on Saturday. You watch football and you you indulge. But we were at an alumnus event and we had fun. We were, you know, engaging conversation. And it's kind of like the Godfather. It's kind of like that scene in the Godfather where the families are meeting. And in the middle of the meeting, Sonny gets ready to say something, and Vito pulls him back. And at the end of the meeting, Vito asks Sonny, what's wrong with you? You never let anybody outside the family know what you're thinking. And that's what I did wrong. I was very over-aggressive, and I let the world know what the family was thinking. So there was a lot of people in that that a lot of people know that felt the same way I did. However, they didn't say, and I would never say who was, but they didn't say anything. They didn't go to their Twitter. They didn't go on the radio. And I did. I went the next step that you never take. So I wish I could take that back. And I wish especially talking about the kids and indirectly, like specifically at the kids. However, what I said came to light. They almost lost Northwestern, should have lost Northwestern. They did lose to Ohio State in a very uh, embarrassing manner. They did lose to Florida in another embarrassing manner. They come back this year, they almost lose to Army. So a lot of things that I did point out were true. You just don't say it in that manner. So that's what I would like to take back. All right. So one other thing that you kind of had a feud with over Michigan is the jersey number. You tried to start a thing with the jersey number one. Really, it was it was kind of in place before you got there. You wanted to really take it and make it a thing. And then Rich Rod kind of kind of stepped on that and, and ruined it. And then I have to see guys out there like Shea Patterson wearing number two for Michigan, which absolutely just... There are three it, people it, wearing two it, for Michigan. One is a kicker. It pisses me off. Where, how do you feel about this now with like jersey number one being worn by a defensive back and sometimes a freshman and jersey number two being worn by, hell, it seems like anybody now. <laughs> see, and that's why I was able to write the book and I'm glad I was able to is to clarify some things. Because I never had a few with Michigan over the number one jersey because the scholarship endowment was never for the specific number one. The scholarship endowment, we just called it the number one endowment because that was, you know, I wore number one. It was very important to me. So we called it that. But at the end of the day, you can give the jersey wherever you want to as long as it, it should have been a wide receiver. That was the, the jersey history. I mean, with fifty, with fifty, with US, with USC give fifty five to a kicker. <laughs> Better not. You know what I'm saying? With Oklahoma give, I think it's sixty. It's sixty. No, Texas. With Texas give sixty eight or whatever it was. To, but anyway, my thing was it should be wide receiver, and then they should be very understanding of the pressure that comes with that. Like I, even though I, I was probably the only one who had to earn it. After I did, I kind of set a new precedent. It was. You know, you got to earn it. I came in with 80. I worked my tail off. I did everything I was asked to do to get one. And then when I finished, I had all the records. I had friendship. I had learned to be a leader. I had learned to be a teammate. I had learned e pluribus unum. So, you you know, that's what I learned. And so I wanted to be that way. Rich Rock comes in and wants to give it to a DB as a bargaining chip. 
you know, uh, uh, Brady was always good about it. He gave it out once. He gave it to Funches. But that was after Funches that played well and had worn nine other numbers. Um, and Rich Rodney and uh, Jim, even Jim came to me his first year when he was going to give it out. He said, hey, I got three guys that are competing in camp. And this was 2015, so I got three guys that are competing in camp. What do you think about whoever wins? I let them wear the number. And I told him, I said, it shouldn't be about fighting to wear the number. It should be someone that you think deserves the number. I said, but uh, you're the coach, you know, so I'm going to support you. Gave the number to Kakoa Crawford. What does Kakoa Crawford end up doing? He transfers. <laughs> so, and then now Ambry Thomas is wearing the number. Who's a pretty good defensive player. There's a lot of talent there in him. See a, see a future. He was a good kick returner. Actually had a touchdown last year in the Notre Dame game, the game at, at which we speak. But if I'm me, which I am, I'm just I'm giving the, the number when I think someone earns it or someone deserves it or someone understands it, then they can have it. You know, like sometimes you don't have to be asked. Like, and I think that would be a cool thing. Like, if you saw a, like someone have a career where a freshman had a tremendous freshman season and they're just doing everything that you say, you know, you can have a conversation with that kid. Yeah, I don't mind if it's a quarterback. You know, he's like, hey, I think that you uh, you deserve to wear number one. How would you feel about wearing that? Or if the guy just asked you or told you, hey, coach, I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to prove that next year you're going to let me wear number one. Like things like that are deserve the number. Just here, here's the here's the jersey. It's available. You know, I'm, you know, I'm old fashioned. You think it's more like how LSU is with 18. Like that's an honor. It's a it, big deal. Exactly. And there's history with it, right? 55 at USC. You know, you can go down the list of all Americans that have won 55 first round draft picks, et cetera, et cetera. Start with Julius Seau, and the list goes on. So. You know, that's how, that's why I stand there. It's his team. He can do as he likes. I just wish that the number was appreciated more so that the person wearing it would be a, uh, that would, would play at a higher level. Because you can't, and once you understand something, you can't under understand that. You know, you know what it is and you play from that. Brown, counting both college and NFL, who's your favorite coach you ever played for? Head, obviously, is a head coach. Yeah, head say. coach. Yep. Position coach is Eric Campbell. Not, okay. He's my wide receiver coach at Michigan. He's now wide receiver, specialty, I mean, uh, offense coordinator for uh, the Bowling Green. But um, I would say Rex. I would say Rex, but that would be like a, a, a 1A and B. Rex, because of my career and how it happened and when I got there, where we were, et cetera, like Rex was, a, was great. He let players be men. He treated men as men, and they played the game like men. They stayed out of trouble, quotations for the most part, <laughs> stay out of trouble. Uh, they, were, they were good fathers, good husbands. Uh, they came in, did work, put in work. They put the team first, and we had, and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, 1B would be if I were drafted to the Seahawks when I was young and I played for Pete, Pete would be my favorite coach. Pete Carroll is an amazing coach. He's an amazing person to be around, but he loves kids. And he loves young players and kids. That's why you'll see him revamp his team a lot. Like you pay attention to his track, like his trend. He gets rid of guys. As soon as they hit that five-year mark, like he's looking to move them or four years. or That's when people start battling. Look at Earl Thomas. Cam got hurt. Look at Richard Sherman. Look at Sidney Rice. You know, Sidney was hurt. Look at Golden Tate. Like he loves you when you're young. And then he tries to move you because he tries to keep it fresh. It's that U, USC model. It worked at USC. So I got to feel like if I was drafted to Seattle when I was younger with him, I would have had a lot of fun with him for five years. Yeah, exactly. That's about as, as long as Pete keeps you around. You mentioned kids, and that, that triggered something that I want to ask you about. Hopefully you watch The Office or you won't get this reference, but you're like the original Scott's Tots, man. That I don't know if enough people know about this, that you donated – $10,000 to a hundred kids in Cleveland. When you were drafted, you gave out a hundred scholarships, not laptop batteries, actual scholarships to kids. I don't know how that doesn't get talked about enough in an era where it seems like too many players are in the news for negative things. I think it's, I think it's because the negativity overshadowed it, but at a high level, I was talking to my mom about the Justin. She's like, I've thought this forever, but you know, the, the times that I say I, w- I had controversy or I got myself in, 
into some hot water. Let's let's use that term. Where I got into the incident outside the nightclub with LeBron James's friend. That incident isn't a big incident. It because you know four guys tried to jump me. Obviously they didn't win. I know how to fight. Sorry, sorry, I grew up in Detroit. <laughs> um, but it, that incident carried no weight until the article added LeBron James' friends. So if of you course. read the article, it looks it looks like Braylon Edwards and LeBron got into a fight. Oh wait, let me read the whole article. Oh, he got into a fight with LeBron James' friends. Then they interview LeBron, you know, that year. So now you got that. Like that's Braylon Edwards and LeBron. That's national headline. Fast forward to. Uh, the DUI in New York, it's one, a DUI. Two, it's a DUI in New York of all cities, the media cat. Three, it's a DUI in New York after we won hard knocks that year. So the Jets were definitely in the national spotlight with the DUI. And then you had the whole Revis holdout. Then you had <laughs> Rex Ryan and his wife and their interesting, <laughs> <laughs> and, interesting interests. Then you had that was when the reporter came out on Brett Favre and said Brett Favre was sending inappropriate pictures. So all these things were surrounding the Jets. Like the Jets became the team to talk about media wise. So when I got my DUI, it fit right in there with that and it was blown up. So now when you do something like, you know, donate a million dollars to kids, you follow through, which the program started in Cleveland, it was way before I even got to New York, it's like a it's like a Second to bat, it's like page seven. But this right here is page one and six. So, and I think that's what happened. I think there's a lot of people that appreciate it, especially those kids. One of the kids, uh, Michael Gundich, he was a head designer out in Nestle for the past four years. Wow. And now he started his own uh, company, man. So I, I'm so proud of them. And that's why I said, like, I don't, I don't want to have done it any other way. Like, I wish... You know, you say you wish you could take things back, but things lead you down different paths. Like, yeah, I wish I could have stayed with the Browns for 12 years and made nine Pro Bowls and never went to the playoffs. Or I could say, hey, I got more touchdowns in the season than Jim Brown has. Meanwhile, I got traded to the Jets and made two AFC championships, and they've only been to a total of four. And I'm a part of two of them. So, yeah, you, know, you take everything with a grain of salt. Things are things are fun. I did it my way, right? That's what the book says. Uh, yeah, I have. I have <laughs> to you ask you: Is your favorite? I grew up a Jets fan, so like your touchdown against the Patriots is that your favorite NFL memory? Are uh, you talking about the playoff touchdown? Yes. After you carried out the uh, Dennis Bird jersey. Uh, it, it, I mean, I love rest in peace, man. I was able to, to get a chance to know him a lot that season. He uh, spoke to us a bunch of times. And I uh, was there for the whole playoff run. Uh, he was man, just a great guy. He's so much fun. I remember actually when I came back from the team after getting to the UI, uh, and I came back and talked to him. And he just was, he just was as good a, a good a person as you could be. He said, "Hey, I understand." He said, "At the end of the day, team first. Just get back. Team ball. Don't worry about it. You're human." He punched me in the stomach a little bit. He said, you "See that? It hurt, right? Because you're human." <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a great moment because. You know, I had a lot riding on the game. I feel like even though we were this great team, like if you look at our loss with the exception of the butt kicking that the Patriots put on us in a, was a week, week week 11, uh, where they beat us 49-3, outside of that, we should have been undefeated. We lose by one to Green Bay, lose by three to Baltimore, and some fluke. We lose by two to, I can't remember who else. But anyway, that was my moment because we proved the doubters wrong and said we couldn't beat the Patriots, especially Mark couldn't beat Brady, although they don't play against each other. I've never understood that. Um, we beat these guys in the playoffs. You know, we're carrying the momentum. We didn't win a division. We beat all the distractions that have happened throughout the year. Everything that I named, we beat those distractions. And we took it to them in Gillette Stadium of all places. They don't lose at home in the playoffs. Never. Never. They don't lose at home. In the I, think, I think Tom has two losses in the playoffs ever, or maybe one. I'm sure it's two or one. And we're one of them. So that was that was, and that moment, that that play kind of got it started. Like we were, we were, you know, stubbing our toe. It was a a back and forth seesaw kind of sort of. I don't know the exact score when I scored, but that play is a play that kind of catapulted us into the second half. Like it was right before halftime, I believe. 
And so after that, we came out just renewed, man. We were, we were ready, man. We were ready. Man, it's awesome. Again, people, check out the book. Uh, it came out September 10th. It's called Braylon Edwards. Doing it my way, my outspoken life as a Michigan Wolverine, NFL receiver, and beyond. Uh, I can't wait to get my hands on it because if it's anything like this conversation, it's going to be a lot of fun, dude. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, we, we definitely appreciate your time. All right, man. Not a problem, man. Get well, too. Get well. Thank you. Thank you. Will do, Braylon. Appreciate you, dude. Yep. That is our show. Thank you to Braylon Edwards. Make sure you check out his book. I, I'm actually I'm going to download it and read it on the plane tomorrow morning. For Mello and Connor, guys, we will be, again, Jordan's Big Ten Pub. 1,600 people getting drunk in the beer garden. It's going to be like 70 degrees. I'm going to be in a hoodie. You wearing a hoodie? Uh, we'll see how long it stays on. <laughs> Connor's not because no, those arms no cannot way. be covered. Not yet. You don't cover those arms, right? I mean, look at the one he has on today. Right, exactly. Never. You gotta let those babies breathe. That's a Bill Belichick hoodie. This buddy. is. I didn't cut it myself though, like good old Bill. You need to. <laughs> I I really want to get you a stick football hoodie now and have you cut the sleeves <laughs> off. Let's you know? do. I'll do it. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. I might be rocking a Minshew mustache when we get there Saturday. It's gonna be a lot of fun from eight until. Whenever we're going to be there, so come get a koozie. Yeah, come get a koozie. Come hang out. Uh, Regent Street is going to be popping. Go Badgers. Safe travels to Connor. We'll see you all Monday morning from Wisconsin. 